Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 27 Rex Gets Good News School had started an hour ago, but Rex wasn't there for it. No way he was going there. No way. The cast on his arm was a badge of shame, a brand of weakness. Some would snicker. Others would outright laugh at him. Everyone in school would know who broke his arm. That didn't matter to Roberta. All she cared about was getting him out of the house. He'd pleaded with her to let him stay home, even cried a little, and all he got for his trouble was a slap in the face and a brief but intense lecture about being a crybaby. He hated the Boyko bullies. Hated them. Roberta didn't know about his secret places, his hidey spots. He walked toward his favorite, Sidney Walton Square, down by the Embarcadero. There he could sit with his back against his favorite oak tree. His backpack held his sketchbook, pencils, and his tattered copy of Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. Maybe he could read a little later, read about empires and knights and kings and queens, but first he had to draw, draw more of what he'd seen in last night's dream, draw more of what had made his pants wet. It was wrong to want more of that, very wrong, but he had to draw it. If only that dream had been real, if only he was big enough, strong enough, to get an axe or a knife or whatever, use it on that stupid asshole, cut into his belly and drag out all his guts, hurt him, break his jaw so he couldn't scream, couldn't cry for help, could only whimper and make quiet begging noises. If only he were man enough to kill Oscar Woody. Whatever Rex had been in that dream, it most certainly was not a man. He didn't care. It had been the best dream ever. Ever. Oscar going over that black gate. Oscar turning. Oh, the look on his face. And something with Oscar's arm. Rex couldn't quite remember. Had he broken Oscar's arm? It had seemed so real. But it wasn't. He'd never be free of those bullies. Rex wasn't strong. He was weak, a wimp, pathetic. And that's all he'd ever be. The sun peeked out behind the tapering point of the Transamerica building as Rex walked east on Washington Street. He looked up just enough to see where he was going. The rest of the time he kept his gaze firmly affixed on his shoes and the two or three yards in front of them. It wasn't until he reached Kearney Street that he looked around, and when he did he saw a San Francisco Chronicle headline screaming at him from inside a beat-up newspaper rack. Rex stopped cold. Galileo's student brutally murdered. Sixteen-year-old's arm torn off, still missing. Those words called to Rex, but not as much as the picture that accompanied them. A small school photo of a smiling Oscar Woody. Oscar Woody was dead? His arm? Torn off? An older couple walked by. Rex ignored them. Dream recollections flooded his thoughts, crystallizing the visions of smashing Oscar's face, throwing him to the ground, stepping on his chest, 
grabbing his arm and yanking until there was a muffled cracking sound and the arm gave way. Rex felt his dick stiffen a little in his pants. My dream. I did this. I made him die. Rex's pulse hammered through his body. His face felt hot. He grabbed the newspaper rack and pulled. The locked door just rattled. He dug in his pockets, but he had no change. He had no money at all. He turned in a near panic, eyes scanning for the ever-present bums. He didn't have to look far. An old man with a dirty beard and even dirtier clothes sat on his knees in front of the concrete steps that led into Portsmouth Square Park. Head down low, hands cupped together and held at chest level, the kneeling bum waited for suckers to walk by. Rex sprinted to the man. Give me your change, Rex said. Give it to me now. The bum ignored him. I said give me your change. Rex reached back his right foot and kicked. The sneaker landed in the bum's ribs. The old man cried out. What a baby. Rex hadn't kicked him that hard. The bum fell to his side. His face screwed tight in pain. Oh, my God! Oh, my God! It broke my ribs! Rex leaned in until his face was only inches from the bums. So close, Rex could smell breath that combined fruity alcohol and decay. Give it to me now, you motherfucker! I will cut you! The bum shrank back, tried to bring his hands up in a defensive posture, but his face scrunched tight again and his hands shot to his side where Rex had kicked him. Please, boss! Don't hurt me! Rex felt electric. This man, this grown man, was terrified. Rex's dick stiffened, throbbed. Hey! The voice came from down the street. Rex looked up. A half block away on Washington stood a big man with a beer gut straining a white wife-beater shirt. He had a thick black beard that hung down to his chest. He wore a green John Deere baseball hat and he was looking at Rex, looking so strangely. Hey, the man said again. You can't do that when people are looking. Rex stared. More images, flickers of his dream phasing together in ghostly echoes. He'd seen this man before. He'd seen this man in the dream. Rex's rage vanished. What the hell was going on? How could he see a man who had been in his dreams? Then a strange feeling blossomed in his chest. A warmth. A buzzing. It felt so good. The guy looked like a pedophile from a TV show, but the sensation in Rex's chest made it feel like he could trust this stranger. The man held out his hand. I'll help you. Come with me. Rex stared, then shook his head. The man was coming from where Rex had been walking. Had the man been following him? Rex turned to run, stopping only long enough to wind up with his right foot and kick the bum again, this time right in the face. The bum's head snapped back, shaking hands reaching up to cover a mouth that already gushed blood. Blood? I made him bleed. Rex sprinted down Washington, thumbs hooked under his backpack straps. He saw a Chinese restaurant and ran inside, pushing past anyone who got in his way. He slid past the tables, saw a door in the back, and ran through it into the kitchen. People were yelling at him in Chinese or whatever, more in surprise than anger. Moments later, he found a door that led to a back alley. He sprinted away from the restaurant, away from the bum, 
away from the bearded man. The emotions that poured through his body, his brain, were exquisite in intensity and texture. He had hit someone. For the first time in his entire life, Rex had fought back. Chapter 28 Black Mr. Burns John Smith focused on his computer screen, using a stylus to hand-trace the lines of a photo from new graffiti found in the Western Edition neighborhood. He didn't recognize the artist's work by sight, perhaps a new tagger from an existing gang, or, more likely, the markings of a brand-new outfit. John was so intent on mapping the image that he didn't hear the office door open, didn't even realize someone was there until that person spoke. Black Mr. Burns, said Pookie Chang. How's life sniffing the silicon ass of the digital dog? John turned and smiled at his former partner. Computer work is just fine, thanks. John reached out to shake Pookie's hand. Pookie had to juggle his ever-present overflowing manila folders to answer the shake. Some things never changed. Years earlier, Pookie had used the unusual nickname to try and get a rise out of John. To most people, being compared to a character on The Simpsons would be less than flattering. Most people, sure, but not to a man who had the most common name in America and in England. John loved his moms, but when other black mothers were naming their children sweet names like Marquise, Germaine, Andre, Dishon, or even something crazy like X-Ray, his mom settled on the rather unoriginal John. When Pookie started calling John Black Mr. Burns, it didn't bother John at all. Then the rest of the cops picked up on it, laughing at how John's overbite, long nose, and his mottled bald head did indeed make him look like a black Mr. Burns. John had loved it. It was something people could remember, a name that wasn't shared by over half a million American men. And for that, seeing Pookie always put a smile on John's face. Burns, you look good, Pookie said, only mildly anorexic this time. How's that bike restoration coming? 88 Softail, right? John's smile faded, then he forced it back into place. Finished it two years ago. Pookie winced. Damn, I knew that. Sorry. Pookie Chang remembered the most obscure facts in the world. That he'd forgotten about John's project showed how far apart the two men had grown in the six years since they last worked together. We got something for you, Pookie said. Could use your help on this. Cool, John said. Where's the Terminator? John was still a bit jealous that Pookie's career had not only continued, but had skyrocketed with another partner. John couldn't bring himself to be mad at Brian Clouser, however. The Terminator had saved his life. Brian's at his apartment, Pookie said. He isn't feeling so hot. Sick? Brian? Pookie shrugged. Yeah, I guess there's a first time for everything. Well, then stay away from me, John said. I know you guys were probably in the back of that Buick swapping spit and rubbing tummies. Kissing dudes is my business, and business is good. Now, if you're done fencing with your rapier wit, I need your help with this. Is it from that body on Meacham this morning? Pookie nodded, looked for a place to set down his stack of folders. John cleared out a space. Pookie set them down, opened the top folder, and handed John several printed crime scene photos. John took them, made a show of waving them so the paper made noise. Pooks, you know you can email this shit, right? 
Electrons are the work of the devil, Pookie said. We found that graffiti at the murder scene. What makes you think it's related to the murder? It was drawn in the Vic's blood. So was this. Pookie handed over another photo showing the words, Long live the king, scrawled in dripping letters on a brick wall. John's eyebrows rose. Yeah, that'll do it. You recognize that symbol? John stared at it, waiting for a flicker of recognition. A round eye inside a triangle, which itself was inside a circle. Didn't ring any bells. John's main role with the gang task force was to track gang memberships and relationships. That meant database work, analyzing online activities such as email and social media interactions, and that staple of gang communication, graffiti. Graffiti painted a picture of which gangs controlled various parts of the city. What looked like random vandalism was often a complex code of who ran the streets, who was marked for death, and who would do the killing. Computer work was about all John was good for these days. Six years ago, he'd caught a bullet in his belly, then lay there, bleeding out, while the sniper, a dirty cop named Blake Johansson, kept him pinned down and stopped anyone from reaching him. The incident had left John with a blinding fear that made even the daily drive to work a challenge. Going out and being an actual cop? Forget it. But if sitting behind a computer was the only way he could contribute, he would do it better than anyone else. Everyone in the department played a role. John knew his and accepted it. When you're a coward, you do what you can. John shook his head. I've never seen this symbol before. You got pictures of the victim? Pookie pulled out more printouts and handed them over. John had seen a lot of damage in his career, but this was among the worst. Such savagery. The colors of the victim's jacket clicked home. He was in boys' company, John said. That a gang? John nodded. Small potatoes, just kids. Runs mostly out of Galileo High in the marina. They at war with anyone? Not that I know of. Like I said, they're small potatoes. A little B&E, some fighting, maybe a little dealing in the school. More like a club than a gang. If Boyko went up against a serious outfit like MS-13, they'd get slaughtered. Pookie pointed to the picture. That sort of fits my definition of slaughter. Good point. I'll start digging, but I'm sure no one is at war with Boyko. How did you know he's from Boyko? The jacket, John said. Boston College. Initials are B and C, same as boys' company. That's how they show their colors. So why not the Boston Celtics? That's B.C. Green and black are the colors of the Latin Cobras, John said. Anyone wearing Celtics gear is going to get fucked up by the Cobras or any of the gangs that are fighting with the Cobras. Pretty much every gang has some sports team affiliation, either with colors or initials. Go team, Pookie said. Dare I ask what happens if I wear the colors of my beloved Chicago Bears? You get beat up by Raiders fans. That's the worst of it, though. I don't think any gangs use the Bears. Kids got to be real careful of what color clothes they wear to school these days. The wrong colors in the wrong spot can get you killed. On a remote island in 
frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Pookie nodded absently as he thought. If it's not another gang, what about someone just fighting back? Maybe Boyko roughed up the wrong kid? Possible, but not likely, John said. These lower-tier gangs are usually smart enough to only pick on the weak. They target kids who aren't in a gang or related to gang members, who aren't on the wrestling team or football team, anything like that. And long live the king. Could that be some gangster street name? John shrugged. Maybe, but that doesn't ring any bells either. We could have a new player in the mix. Let's take a look at the Boyko file. John sat at his computer and called up his database. The file had hundreds of tabs, one for each of the gangs that ran through the Bay Area. Some, like MS-13 or the Norteños, were seriously bad news, connected on a national and even international basis. Other outfits were local, but just as dangerous, like West Mob and Big Block in Hunter's Point, 14K Triad and Hua Ching in Chinatown, Jackson Street Boys all over the city, or Knockout Posse and Eddie Rock in the Western Edition. John clicked on the tab for Boyko. A file appeared with four photos. Pookie looked over his shoulder. Just four kids? That we know of. Oscar Woody, Jay Pilar, Isaac Moses, and the leader, Alex Panos. Four kids is a gang? John shrugged. Like I said, more of a club of bullies, really. Barely even on our radar. Pookie pulled out another photo. A particularly gruesome shot. It showed Oscar Woody's full body. Arm ripped off, stomach torn open. Face beaten so badly it barely looked human. This isn't just some mugging, Pookie said. The mutilation, the writing on the wall. Someone is sending a message. Sure it couldn't be MS-13? Don't they cut off limbs? And hands and heads, John said. But MS-13 uses machetes. Look at that kid's body, Pooks. He wasn't cut apart. He was torn apart. Could it be a new gang? What about that blood graffiti symbol? That's where we'll start. Let's get this scanned in and see what the computer says. John scanned in both the photos, then opened them up in his computer and accessed the regional information sharing system. RIS coordinated nationwide gang data, including suspects, organizations, and weapons, as well as visual imagery of gang members, gang symbols, and gang graffiti. Huh, Pookie said. And I thought the Internet was for porn. Oh, no. John said, We don't look at porn down here, Pooks. There are filters, and then if you're caught... Kidding, Pookie said. Jesus, man, you haven't changed a bit. John sighed. Even when they'd been partners, he only caught about half of Pookie's humor. Anyway, the RIS software identifies key points much like a fingerprint, marking the degree of curves, the thickness, and relative length of lines. It breaks down individual segments of the symbols into a hundred mini-symbols. 
Then I feed it into the database, and it searches for matches, partial or full. Does this crap really work? John nodded. Oh, hell yeah, it's amazing. It can even build a graphic profile on individual artists so accurate we can tell the genuine artist from an imitator. The computer beeped. John opened a window to read the results. Uh, nothing in San Francisco. Anywhere else? John scanned the results. Looks like one hit in New York City a couple of decades ago. A serial killer. Looks like he murdered four women, then killed himself. That's all it says. I'm sure there's more info, but we'd have to reach out to the NYPD to get it. As John read the lines of information, he saw something strange. This is weird. What is? Well, I see incoming links on these symbols from that old case in New York. But what those links connect to was deleted from our system. Oh, look at this. Here's a local request. It's old. Must have been the early days of the SFPD's efforts to computerize. Let's see. 29 years ago. But there's no images associated with it, so we can't know if the request was answered. Pookie absently scratched at his jaw. Why would someone delete info on this symbol? Probably a mistake, John said. You have thousands of people accessing this stuff. Systems and software conflict. Databases purge. Things can get accidentally erased. That local request, Pookie said. Can you tell me you made it? John looked. He followed database links to a dead end. No, those fields aren't there. The information is too old. Probably migrated from system to system to system as the department continued to modernize. I can keep looking, though. Give me a couple of days. I'll see what I can find. Pookie sighed. He gathered his papers and pictures, stuffing them once again into the abused manila folder. While you're at it, can you get the details on the New York City case? Sure thing. One more favor, Pookie said. Keep all your searching on the down low. Polyester Rich has what might be a similar case, and I want them both. Don't need him hearing about you looking into it. Pookie's rivalry with Rich Verdi was still alive and well, it seemed. Not a problem, Pooks. Pookie opened the door to leave, then turned, a grin on his face. Come on, he said. Do it for me just once. John laughed, then affected an evil smile. He held his hands in front of him like claws, touching the tips of his left fingers to the tips of his right. Excellent, Smithers, John said. Excellent. Pookie nodded sagely, as if John had just said the most wise words in all the world. Mr. Burns should have been black. He is. The networks just decolorize him because America fears a rich black man. Pookie nodded, then walked out the door, leaving John to look at the symbols scanned into his computer. Chapter 29 Pookie's Flashback It had been almost two decades since Pookie Chang's high school graduation, and yet a principal's office still gave him the creeps. Pookie had given Brian a few hours to himself. That hadn't seemed to help much. When Pookie picked Brian up, the man still looked scattered, a little freaked out and sick as a dog. At least Brian hadn't fled. Maybe it would have been easier if he had. That would have forced Pookie's hand, saved him from deciding if he should either trust Brian or arrest him. 
You just couldn't dream crime scene details like that. Could someone be setting Brian up? Maybe. But how would that work? Was someone hypnotizing him? Maybe drugging him, then sneaking into his apartment and whispering sweet nothings in his ear? Could this be some massively convoluted revenge plot from someone Brian had put away? Maybe, sure. Or maybe Pookie could pull his head out of his ass and accept the obvious answer. That Brian Clouser had gone out last night and butchered Oscar Woody. No way. I've known that man for six years. No way. That thought echoed constantly through Pookie's head, fighting for space against, but he's already killed five people. The bottom line, however, was that Pookie owed Brian Clouser his life. So did Black Mr. Burns. Therefore, Brian got the benefit of the doubt. However unlikely, there could still be a valid reason why Brian knew those crime scene details. To find that answer, Pookie had to do his job, beginning with Kyle Solar, principal of Galileo High. Principal Solar, we need to know who Oscar Woody may have had a beef with. Solar had the tired look of a man who knew his entire career involved fighting a losing battle. His suit seemed to hang on him like a convict's stripes. Solar threaded his fingers together, rested the clasped hands on his desktop. You think a student did this? He didn't say that with shock or disbelief, just a sense of resignation. We have violence here like any school, but this is on a different level. Could be a student, Pookie said. A stronger possibility is a student hired someone to do it. We understand Oscar had incidents here. Solar let out a single sad laugh. Huh. Yeah, you could say that. We don't have much of a gang problem at Galileo. That lets a pissant operation like Boyko kind of rule the roost. They pick on a lot of kids. Which kids? Brian said. We need names. Solar sat back in his chair. Inspector, I can't just give you names of everyone Boyko has crossed. I'm not going to subject those kids to police questioning when they've done nothing wrong. Brian started to talk, but he winced before any words came out. He cleared his throat, painfully, judging by the expression on his face, then tried again. <clears throat> Don't give me that civil rights bullshit, he said. We need leads. We. His voice trailed off. He closed his eyes and leaned back. He rubbed his temples. Pookie reached out and supportively squeezed Brian's shoulder. You okay, man? Brian slowly shook his head. Yeah, I got a headache. Is it hot in here? Solar pointed to his office door. There's a water fountain in the hall, quite cold. Brian nodded. Yeah, that'll help. Pook's your mind? I got this, Pookie said. Brian stood and walked to the door. He moved slowly, swaying just a little bit. Maybe he had a split personality taking over. Maybe he was going out to tear off someone's arm, poke out their eye, rip out their guts, and then stuff them. Pookie shook his head once, quickly, as if to chase away the thoughts. Brian shut the door behind him. Pookie turned back to Principal Solar, who looked less than pleased. Civil rights bullshit, Solar said. You guys are subtle. Pookie shrugged. Cut him some slack, man. Oscar's body really shook him up. Solar sighed and nodded. Yeah, I guess that would shake up anyone. But I can't just give you a list of names. 
Principal Solar, we have concerns that other Boyko members could be in trouble. Alex Panos, Isaac Moses, and Jay Pilar deserve our protection. Solar's eyebrows rose. You already know their names. Nice. Are you telling me that you really care about a bunch of bullies? It's my job, Pookie said. He looked around the room. And let's just say I spent a significant amount of my high school years in an office that looked a lot like this. As a victim or victimizer? The latter, Pookie said. I know these kids are bad news, but they're still kids. They can straighten out. I did. Oscar Woody will never have that chance. You know the students and the staff here better than we do. Anything you can do to save us time could matter. Solar nodded. Okay, I'll go through the records, see if anything comes up. I'll talk to the teachers individually. Pookie stood and handed over his card. Please call me if you find anything at all. They shook hands. Pookie walked out to find Brian bent over the drinking fountain, water splashing against his face. Bri, Bri, you okay? Brian stood, wiped the water from his face. Yeah, that did the trick. I feel better. Ready to go talk to Oscar Woody's parents? You've killed five human beings, was what flashed through Pookie's head. Sure thing, was what came out of his mouth. Chapter 30 Hair of the Dog Robin lifted her head from the microscope. That couldn't be right. She must have mistakenly used a human hair. She reached for the tray that contained the inch-long brown hairs she'd collected from the body in the blanket. With the tweezers, she carefully selected one that had been embedded in Oscar's wound. She picked it up, held it close. Yes, that was one of the animal hairs. But it looked the same as her current sample. She held them side by side. Exactly the same. She put the new one under the microscope. Just as she had done with the first sample, she started at low magnification to see the entire shape. The hair had a tapered end, as would be expected from animal fur. Ends of human hair were almost always cut, something that could easily be seen under a microscope, while most animal fur tapered to a point because the strands of fur wore down on their own. At higher magnification, things got weird. Hair or fur has three parts, the cortex, the cuticle, and the medulla. Comparing it to a pencil, the cortex is the wood, the medulla is the lead, and the thin coat of yellow paint is the cuticle. The cuticle is a layer of cells that covers the shaft, like scales on a snake. The pattern of scales differs from species to species. Crown-like scales, called coronal, are common among rodents. Triangular spinous scales indicate cat hairs. The sample Robin examined had imbricate, or flattened scales. Dog fur had imbricate scales, but those scales were thick sheets that wrapped all the way around. The scales on the sample from the blanket, however, were thinner, finer, and tighter than would be found in dog fur. This type of imbricate scales were found on human hair. She checked a third strand, a fourth, then a fifth. All had fine scales. All had tapered ends. Maybe the attacker had hair that grew very slowly. Maybe he rarely, if ever, had to get it cut. Maybe the strands were from a man with a receding hairline. His follicular growth slowed to a near standstill. Guys who were balding didn't like trimming what little hair they had left. Possible, but then there were the bite marks, the parallel gouges on Oscar Woody's bones. Those had to be from an animal, 
a big animal. Sure, a handler and a big animal working together could account for the damage, and the handler's hair could have been in the wound. But with that level of contact, so would some fur from the animal. The STR results from the saliva would soon be finished. If that came back as human, it would correlate with what she saw in these hairs. She could confirm the hair is human, however, by finding samples that still had follicles attached to the root end, then running the tests on those follicular cells. Human or animal, soon she would know for certain. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.